when we have these accomplishments on one hand, but we have severe mental illness and suicide rates um, skyrocketing on the other hand, too. We got to ask ourselves, what does that mean? What, con what contributes to that? Hi, I'm Alexandra Kitka, and this is Ergo. Today I am joined by Christopher McDermott, a high school counselor at a competitive New York City high school. Hello. Hi. Thank Hi. you for having me. <laughs> How are you doing? Good. Good. Good to be here. Um, so to start off, I was wondering, as someone who is a student, um, as a high school counselor, <clears throat> what do you think tend to be the major goals of this current teenage generation? Um, you know, that, that's a good question. Um, so my, my perspective on that question tends to relate to where my school is located. Um, you know, we're in the most competitive city in the country, maybe even the world. Um, so it's just a school within that environment itself just kind of breeds the, the competitive air of, of New York City itself. Um, so, and I also think that has a, a way of influencing the goals of the students too. So, so it is competitive. So I think some of the goals are just students generally like trying to outdo each other, right? Mm -hmm. Or like be the best or even have a area where they could, they could feel a sense of perfection too. You know, there's a quest for perfection in general in New York City. And I think that translates over to the schools, um, especially at my school, you know, students want to have like all A's and if they don't have all A's then you know they could they could say things oh I didn't have a good year um, if they get below let's say like a 95 I didn't do well on that test um, or if they didn't get into maybe the top college you know when I say top college I'm like top 50 out of 3,000 or so colleges oh the college process didn't really work out in my favor um, so students will say that so I think I think the perspective of the goals, of, of the students' goals at my school are just kind of influenced by this, this level of competitiveness and this level of perfection, uh, this level of like name brand, and this level of just being the best in their field that, that's kind of inbred within New York City itself. Right, so you bring up this idea that um, the environment that New York City fosters um, is one that is very competitive and maybe that's different from, let's say you go to um, somewhere upstate or somewhere in, um, in another state. Um, and I know that from various like documentaries and articles that the competition that is fostered in these schools really starts like all the way from pre-K, um, where there's this system put in place where parents are competing for their children to get a role in the, in the best, in a, get a a position in the best pre-K and the idea is that well if they get into the best pre-K and then they'll be able to get into the next the best elementary school and then the best middle school then the best high school then the best college and then they'll just be the best um, do you do you think that this idea of being the best the best will actually lead to people having a more successful life well you're you're right like funny enough um, so I have a one-year-old you know and it's come up with my wife or in some of our like social circles where other people have young children, like the topic of kindergarten has come up, right? And that's like four years ago, four years from now, three years from now, you know? So in, in, I didn't grow up in New York city. So I'm saying to myself, why is this a topic? Like, why does this have to be a topic of conversation? Right. Um, and I think one of the reasons is there's almost like a level of fear attached to it because of the nature of how competitive these applications are or the wait, the waiting lists in like pre-Ks or kindergartens, that it just, it comes upon the parents as almost fear and, and something that they start being anxious about um, just like, you know, not far after the child is born. So, so I just, I see that, like you were saying, that competitiveness um, and almost how it's sort of like projected onto the children uh, and how it's centered around schools in New York City and the competitiveness and the waiting list within schools. I see how that starts so early. Um, and I, you know, and 
<clears throat> kids like they they pick up on that, right? Like they'll pick up on that anxiety related to schools, or, or they'll just they'll know um, even just when they when the process comes along just by conversation. You know, how do you tell a kid, oh, you're on a waiting list for kindergarten, right? It's like, it's a funny thing to say to a little kid, um, right? But that's kind of New York City. That, that's, that's the reality of, of these areas. And I think that there are definitely negative repercussions beyond just the idea of anxiety that come up when you just um, have that idea of just wanting to get into the best of the best. Um, I know from personal experience, my parents... Um, well, so I'll start with, I was lucky enough to be placed in a zone that was a very, they, the schools here are really good. Um, and so my parents weren't really that concerned, you know, with waiting lists and all right. of that. Um, but there was right. a gifted program mm -hmm. in the school. Um, and my parents actually told me, um, a few years ago that they made the decision to not apply for the gifted program within oh. the school. Um, and I know at, at that I was kind of like, what do you mean? You know, maybe I would have been this child prodigy if I was in that gifted program. Um, and what my mother explained to me is that in this school, because it was a pretty strong school anyway, a lot of the kids who were really smart that just kind of made the decision to just not be in the gifted mm -hmm. program, um, because the gifted program, they were very isolated. Those kids had different classes. They never really talked to the rest of the kids at the school. Um, and at that age, my mom didn't want to put me through that pressure of having to be quote unquote smart. Mm. You know, I mean, I wasn't very good at doing homework when I was in elementary school. That would always be what the teachers were telling me I needed to work on. But it was because I went home and I played outside and I, I had fun and I didn't want to do my homework because I was doing other things. Mm. And honestly, I don't think it affected me at all. I mean, I, I go to a great school and it seems like my my career in the future has not been affected at all um, because I wasn't in the gifted program. Right. And, you know, you brought up a good point, like the um, the pressure of being labeled gifted at a young age, right? Like the standard that you need to keep up, that's a lot of pressure on, on a child too, right? There's certain, there's, it, yeah, it's, it's like a, you know, you could have a performance anxiety from that, right? And then all, all of a sudden it influences your goals. It influences how you measure success. So, you know, maybe your parents did the right thing. I mean, I'm sure it was well thought of. There's parents who would probably say, pull out their hair and say, why would you not take advantage of that? Well, you know, that opportunity was there and you didn't take advantage of it. It doesn't mean it's always the right thing developmentally for somebody, you know, your age at that time. And I think that this... Uh... <clears throat> this environment that has been created kind of defines for us at a very early age what success means. Mm -hmm. um, so can you talk a little on that? What do you think schools kind of set up success as? So I see, I, the, it's all, the way that um, a school counselor's role is divided, it's divided in three ways. There's the social or three developmental areas. It's social-emotional development, academic development, and sort of post-secondary or college and or career development. So those, to, to me, those three things combined um, is where effort has to be put into in order to develop the individual. Um, so I think when you're talking about success, it has to come kind of like a whole package thing. You know, so you can't just have an acceptance to a great school, but just be not really be able to self-reflect or not know a lot about yourself or not be able to discuss your emotions, right? Or just be like a horrible person in general. That wouldn't be success because you might have achieved greatness on one of these three developmental areas, but you, you know, you fall short in the other ones too. Um, so I think for students to really be able to say that they're successful, they need to point to accomplishments in those three areas or those three domains. Do you think that this model of success that you're talking about, um, do you think that that differs significantly? Um, and if so, how um, from what a typical student believes about success? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a really great question. What does a typical student believe about success? Well, I think the emotional development is highly underrated in our current society, 
whether in a big city like New York or even out in, in a rural or, you know, suburban area. Um, pe like, people just don't want to go there. You know, they don't want to learn about themselves. They don't want to explore their emotions. They don't want to talk about their strengths and weaknesses or their areas of failure or how maybe they had failures but learned from those failures or, or things like that. So people are afraid to go to the emotional level and it's easier to seek success and even measure success to an extent in kind of these more material ways of measuring success such as your job or such as a college acceptance or such as um, a report card. Um, I think in from my perspective, I kind of see these two um, different perspectives in society kind of in conflict. Um, one being that typical, you know, American dream style view of success. You know, you, you work hard, you get the good grades, you go to college, you get a good job, um, then you buy a house, a car, whatever. Um, and then that other view, which is kind of more reflecting what you're talking about, um, but kind of to the extreme where some groups of people are saying, well, none of that matters. It just matters if you're happy when you wake up in the morning, if you um, feel better than you did yesterday. Um, and I think it's very interesting because those are very drastically different, but what you seem to be suggesting is kind of getting both sides of, of that and, and putting them together. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, it's almost, you could call it like a holistic type of development. That's what I feel. You have to develop the individual, right? What good is... Like, what good is an acceptance to a really top college, right? Or what good are the greatest grades if you don't know how to communicate to somebody who, you you know, you're not comfortable with, right? Or um, to have a really deep relationship with somebody, right? To me, those are like sort of the cornerstones of a society, too. Um, it's also connected, you know, we're just like an individualistic society. Mm -hmm. like, and, and with that comes being very individual type of goal-oriented way about us, too. There was, um, I had experiences in education before I, I got to my current school. I was a teacher um, at some charter schools in, in some low-income areas. And their push there was, their whole idea was, if we could just get these kids into college, then their lives would be so much better. You know, and, and to me, that, that never... That never sat well with me. I always questioned that. I said, really, that's the big goal? You know, and, and to me, that was almost like an idolization of um, education in a way, too. Like, that's all you need to go to college, and then there we go, your success story. And I remember one of the sort of mantras or, like, vision statements of one of these schools I worked at. It was, it was work hard, go to college, right? Like, that was it. They're like, that how, that's how you summed up the whole mission of, of the school and and what it represented. To me, I always, I, f I felt sort of an unsettling about, about those kind of messages. Right, because what happens when you go to college or when you don't go to college, right? Is, is then your life over if you don't achieve that? Exactly, yeah. Um, so talking about the idea of an individual society, do you think that success is different um, for different people? I, th uh, I think so, too. I mean, like, like do we all, could we say that there are absolutes in, in terms of defining success? That, that's what I think of too, right? Does success mean that you need a lot of money? So, you know, is that an absolute in terms of success? Um, I think there's room for discussion there, right? Could we say that somebody is, who's poor and maybe lives by himself or herself is successful, right? So how do, it's, it's interesting how we define success. I think it's, it's liquid. Like it, it, ebbs and flows with the, with the culture that we live in too, right? I mean, money, right, it seems to be always a measure of success, right? It's like almost the first thing that everybody goes to when they think of success. I think of people I went to high school with, you know, and how I say, oh, he's doing really well. Why is he doing well? Well, because I saw a picture of his big house on Facebook, so therefore he's doing very well. Um, so, you know, sometimes we go to the money thing uh, in terms of the success, um, but it's, it's really a question like, how do you measure it? Is it an absolute or is it just kind of like a subjective thing, right? Is somebody able to just define success within their own terms? 
let's talk more about defining success. Um, I think something that's really interesting to me is that the idea of success seems to be dependent um, not on the process, but on the results. Um, so, I mean, does it really matter how you get there? Right. I mean, so that's the idea, like a means to an end or an end in itself too, right? So is, you know, and, and I always have these discussions and for for me, this is true in my life. I've learned more through the times I struggled and the times when I was, quote, unsuccessful because um, just those those are the times where you sort of develop character, you develop coping mechanisms where then you could apply later on in life uh, when you need them. So, so again, you know, like there were times in my life where I was broke, but I was developing these like really strong foundational skills that were almost necessary for future success, right? So while I was going that through that struggle, I was almost like on a path towards future success. Um, so I looked at I look at it that way. Um, so let's talk about the media. Mm. Who do you think the media um, kind of picks up as the model of success, and what do you think that might show about what our society thinks about success? Right. <laughs> It's funny. I'm I'm thinking now. I think it's I think it's a Billy Joel song, um, but there was a line: "All you need are looks. All you need are looks and a whole lot of money." <laughs> In some ways, to measuring success, and I think the media takes that over. You know, you need to be you need to be sort of fashionable, and you need the money at the same time. Um, and I think that's the picture that the media portrays too. You know, it's funny too. Also, like success now might have changed a little bit um, with social media. Because people talk about how many followers they have or how many likes they have now, so then that that's kind of a way to measure success now that wasn't really around when I was when I was younger or in high school, right? So like that could be related to popularity as well too. It doesn't have to be like you could have a million followers but be on the street and nobody really knows who you are by your face, right, or something. So I think that's kind of interesting how that shift has happened in the sense of how popularity could be related to success. People also seem to be fascinated by the idea of um, people who are younger succeeding early in life, right? So I think of, like, um, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, even, like, Bill Gates, you know, these people who are, are, are super rich and super um, successful, but we look at them as kind of our perfect model because they did it when they were young, um, which is in a way, is kind of contrary to, to this idea of, like, you know, you work hard so you can get the next step so that you can get the next step and eventually you'll end up at this goal. Um, it seems to be a little bit more, you know, random or sporadic. Mm. I, ha I heard a good quote. Um, it, was, it was related to success, and I think it was related to kind of like a business success, which was like, you know, income and growth of business and stuff. And it was somebody uh, who was in business and he was saying how he worked so hard and he achieved, he achieved, he achieved. And then when he got to the top of the mountain, he realized nobody else was there. He was alone. Um, so sometimes success in that form could also almost like breed loneliness too. You kind of, you almost like isolate yourself when you get to that point. You're, you're sort of alone. You've, you've moved away from the pack or you moved away from people that you could learn from as well um so there there's risks right and then that could even relate to like childhood celebrities right or childhood fame too they they kind of peak too soon and then like they don't know what to do with the rest of their life and then we all know stories of childhood celebrities that ended very sadly i'm very fascinated with the idea of um quote-unquote peaking early um because it's something that i've thought a lot about um, and in school, we were reading *The Great Gatsby*, um, and one of the first things that they um, that is used to describe Tom Buchanan is the fact that he was really successful. Uh, he was a really successful football player in college, and that was the height of his life. After that, it, it all went downhill. Um, and it made me thought uh, think a lot about that. And actually, I posted um, on my blog about this too. Um, the idea of peaking is really weird because it kind of um, implies that there's only this one goal you're trying to achieve. Um, and I know in my life, I mean, I'm young, so I can't really s speak to, 
you know, the whole life story of success. But I, I find that you, well, you won't peak if you have a lot of different goals. If you're only aiming for one thing in your life, whether that be earning a certain amount of money or getting a certain job, well, you're going to peak once you get that. Um, but if you have these, these other larger, um, different goals, then you can't really peak because you're working on a lot of different things. Right. Yeah, I know that you said it perfectly. Um, that's the way to do it. I, I kind of almost phrase it as like, you have to sort of evolve, right? You, you maybe get to the point of like mastery in something and then you say, okay, what do I do with it now? Right. Or something like, um, if you are a star athlete, right. And like you're, like you're LeBron James, like ultimately LeBron's career is going to come to an end, right? So he cannot define himself as a successful basketball player. He might be a successful former basketball player, but then he'll have to say to himself, what am I now? Right? So you need, it's like you need, there has to be a level of creativity with that ambition, open-mindedness, but you have to know to how to adjust to the different life stage that you're in as well too. And also, you know, like you're not going to be the same person that you were 10 years ago or, you know, physically, obviously. Right. But even like mentally or life experience wise, you're not. So things are going to change, change. And you have to say to yourself, what am I going to do with this, this new stage of life that I'm in? I know from my personal experience that going into high school, um, I wanted to be the type of person who was, um, you know, getting straight A's, um, living, you know, like the certain like typical prep life, you know, where you have a lot of friends, you get good grades, you are like ahead of different clubs. Um, and that was my idea of like, this is what it means to be like the perfect student. Um, but something that I found very interesting when I started um, the college process and started talking to colleges about what they were looking for in students, it didn't seem to line up with what I had thought it was. Um, because a lot of these, and these are like top schools, um, were saying, we don't want you to be good at everything because then you're, you know, you're not going to be like specialized. You know, they, they don't necessarily want you to just be, you know, well-rounded and good at everything to like a mediocre extent. They prefer like if you have certain passions and certain things you're very excited about, which is not something that we're ever introduced to, you know, in high school, like you should try to pursue your, your passions and your interests, you know, it's more like do good at everything. What do you think about that? I think that's, that's great. Yeah. You know, and then we kind of like water ourselves down by that, in that sense too. There's only so many hours in the day, right? So, you know, are we being mediocre at a lot of things? Or are we mastering one thing, right? And they, there's like people talk about how many hours you need to dedicate to something to master it. Right? It's like a lot of hours, right? It's a commitment too. So it doesn't come easy and, and um, you, have to, you have to choose, right? There has to be a time in life. You know, some schools are nice. Schools are great because you have, in one environment, you have access to so many different things. Um, in high school and, and in college as well, right? So when you go to college, your first day on campus, all you see are these flyers posted about involvement with this club or involvement with that, you know? And it's like being at a buffet almost. You want to choose everything that's offered um, because it's all enticing for you. Um, and in some respects, while you're away at school, that's the time to do that in a way, right? Having that opportunity because later on in life, it's, you know, you, sometimes you have the responsibilities of making money and, and you need to sort of focus in on one thing and that has to be your interest. I read an article recently that was talking about um, what happens to valedictorians um, after their high school career. Um, and it was very interesting because they were talking about the fact that kids who do extremely well in high school and get 4.0s are not necessarily the ones who are going to quote unquote succeed in life. Um, and the reason they point to um, was that people who are really passionate and interested in one specific thing are the ones who are going to succeed in life. Because usually, you know, uh, for, for Bill Gates, it was like computer science, right? Like you have this one thing that you're really good at and that's what's going to bring you that success. Um, but that, that doesn't necessarily translate to doing well in high school because if you're focusing on that one thing, it means maybe you don't do so well at your other subject. 
So you're the valedictorian of your school, which means you're number one. Um, so, like I said, you need to go to the best school. And you show up at that best school, and 50% of the students are valedictorians or something, you know? So all of a sudden, they, they use the analogy of like a, you're a small fish in a big pond all of a sudden. And that drastic switch happened, too. Um, so what, what does that do to you? Like, could it impact yourself? self-worth your self-esteem i was so good in high school what happened to me i'm a different person you might question your abilities um you might not stand out as much you might not get recognized as much um, so a lot of things like that could happen uh, so it's it's if you're you know if you're like the valedictorian there there's also it, it doesn't just end there in a way there's there's other things that are coming your way that can influence your success and if you're the valedictorian, I also hope that your school acknowledged that you are strong in all three areas. You just don't have the highest GPA in the school. Mm. Um, I want to add just one caveat to what you're saying, um, and you may or may not disagree with this, but um, I, I've heard that idea of you know being like a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond. Um, and usually that kind of, con kind of conversation um, ends up with, well, it's probably like always better to be a, a big fish in a small pond. Um, and I think that developmentally and emotionally, it, it's probably like a lot easier to, to be a big fish in a small pond, right? If you're the valedictorian to go to a school where not everyone else was a valedictorian because it'll be easier. Um, but at the same time, I do think that there's a lot to learn when you're placed in, in that kind of position where you're no longer the smartest person in the room. And while you may not um, succeed in, in the typical sense, maybe you won't be the valedictorian of college, maybe you won't even get all A's like you did before, um, but that kind of learning and learning from that kind of failure can be something that's just very important. Right, and, and also if you need um, a little humility in your life... <laughs> Sometimes going from valedictorian to a school of many other valedictorians, you, it could humble yourself a little bit. Um, I also think in order to, so if you do go to a school and you end up being a small fish in a big pond, I also think that you need some of those social and emotional skills as sort of like a foundation to fall back on. You need to be strong in order to be in an environment where you recognize you're no longer the best in the room. You're not the smartest in the room. You're not the best at this anymore. Um, you need you need certain type of um, emotional strength and emotional development in order to recognize that. Uh, so as someone who is a high school counselor, I'm sure you go through lots of students who have these big dreams and big hopes for their future. Um, do you ever think personally that some of their, their dreams for them specifically are kind of um, not personally attainable and like if if they have goals that you don't think are attainable do you ever how, how would you present them with that kind of reality of their unrealistic goals right I you know so I my when I when it's almost narrow down my job in in three three words um, I would say it's validate validate and validate um, what I, what I like to do is I like to just validate students. Um, they'll learn the reality as they go along. But it, at this stage in, of where they are in life or this stage of the development, they need more of the validation, the encouragement, um, and the support to go out and pursue those goals. Um, and it's part of life when they go out and, and learning what it takes to get there or learning how to redirect themselves. That, that's part of life and that's part of growth. So students that I deal with in high school, I don't feel it's right to really put these type of thoughts in their head or, or even be too realistic about how things are. I, I understand there's a reason, uh, there's, there's a place for a reality check in some things, you know? But there's, there's always exceptions, too. And I think my job is, yeah, I said validating three times. But you also just want to give students like a sense of spirit to go out there um, and take on the world. Because they, their life is so going to be so much more than just their high school experience. 
and the person that I'm sitting in front of in high school is not going to be the same person years down the road. So if I think something is unrealistic for a student at 17, that's not fair to the individual because they're going to change. And they might change in a way where all of a sudden that goal is really realistic for them too. But with that said, what happens um, if a student comes into your room um, and they maybe have you know, a GPA that's on the lower side, they don't participate, they, they don't seem to be students who are, are the ones you typically look at as going to these big schools. Um, but at the same time, on their application list, all they want to apply to is Harvard, Princeton, Yale. Um, obviously, it, it seems that if you just verify and you don't uh, kind of talk to them about the reality of their situation, they may end up in a position where they don't have a future. They don't have a college to go to. Right. No, that's a great question. So that that's that's a real way that I experience this idea of um, validation versus reality. Okay, because there is a reality to the uh, admissions or the acceptance rate of Harvard, Yale, Princeton. <laughs> um, so there's def definitely I definitely do deal with that too. And what I do is. Um, I point to the data, like I point to the numbers, uh, and I could, I could stand in a room of 100 people, and I could say, five of you in this room will be accepted to Princeton. <laughs> you all applied, but only five of you will be getting in. I could just, I could say that without putting anybody down, because that's the truth of the numbers. Um, and then students sometimes see it that way. Uh, and then I'll ask them, okay, in the past, the five that did get in, here's what they had. Here's what their uh, resume was like. Is yours similar, right? Is yours uh, different? And then I also tell students, in terms of the, the college piece, I, I tell them apply to a variety of schools. I say, apply to Princeton, go for it, right? But based on the, um, the numbers and the data, you know it's really hard to get into. Um, so give yourself some other options too and, and just see what that's like. I'm hoping for the best with Princeton and I'll be the first to to give you a t-shirt that says Princeton on it, but at the same time, I don't want you to be disappointed at the end. What about misplaced goals? So um, something that you may be able to achieve, but maybe um, your reasons for that goal are, are kind of sketchy. So an example that comes to mind um, is like parents who put their kid in a, in a certain high school because they want them to get into Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Stanford, um, whatever. That's a good question. Um, what might you say to a student whose goals are, are like that, are misplaced and only due to their parents or due to some other factor? You know, I, I consider it a great privilege and honor in some ways that I could sit in front of these students and have their ear, like one-on-one, -on -one, right? That, that's like one of the beauties of my job is that I'm, and it's, it's how I'm entrusted to do that is incredible. I'm, I'm able to sit there and talk to them directly too. Um, I, you know, it's it's difficult. I, I'll never question somebody's motive. Um, sometimes it de it depends on my sort of relationship with the student. Um, but it's hard to question somebody's motive because that's might be personal. Or no matter how how much I might question that motive, they might not be able to see it that way. You know, students in adolescence, right and you might not be able to relate to this. They see this the world a certain way. Um, and the only way that they're going to see it otherwise is by growing older and by having experiences too. So, you know, there's there's a lot of sort of these, these um, catchphrases with being a counselor. But another one is you have to meet the person where they're at too. So I don't have a conversation with an adolescent, the same conversation that I would have with a 40-year-old 50-year-old person, too, just because how they're seeing the world is so different, too. So it's hard for me to really put it out there and get somebody to question the motive directly, too. But sometimes I find sort of a backdoor into that and have them think about that. Because the goal is not for me to, not for it to be like a self-directed session. So not for me to point my finger and tell the student how they should think about something, what their goals should be, and how they should go about it. It's really for me to ask questions to get that student to come to his or her own conclusion. Until this point, we've been talking mostly about this typical 
model of success that is, you know, the American dream. Um, but I found an interesting recent survey from, I think it's Strayer University, um, that revealed that 90% of Americans believe that happiness is more important than power, possessions, or prestige. Um, and I think that this is very interesting kind of juxtaposed with this idea of all this competitive desire for kids to go to college. Um, so do you think that it is better to reach for more personal and relational goals like happiness rather than ones that maybe have to do with fame and money and success in that way? You know, like in a, in a perfect world, that could, that could sound great. Uh, this idea of just attaining relational goals and personal happiness. Um, you know, we're, we're at such a competitive place in our world where there, there's almost like a survival instinct for people, uh, people coming out of college, right? You know, um, like a payoff to your investment in college. Thousands and thousands of dollars were spent. How, what, what return are you getting on that investment too? Just personal happiness, you know? Um, so it's, it's, to me, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. So that study said 90% of people surveyed say that happiness is more important than the other ways of measuring success. That's interesting too. You know, I wonder those people who say that, do they really practice that too? Um, and I'm starting with myself too. I might, I might talk about all those kind of the rosy things of getting to know yourself, um, you know, having strong relationships, uh, you know, talking to your parents weekly, whatever that looks like. Um, but you know, at the same time, even within me, there is this drive for competitiveness. There is this, this, this way of assessing myself based on dollar signs in a way. Um, so I'm, I'm guilty of it too. And I'm almost thinking that the people who said 90%, they, they might be guilty of it as well, right? We all kind of have this ideal of like just a pure self-happiness, but it's, it's, it's corrupted a little bit too. I also think that we kind of create um, a false dichotomy between these two ideas of on one hand trying to just be happy and be relational and then on the other hand getting power and prestige and money. Um, because I think in there, there's a sense of if you really look at those two things side by side, they're not that different. Um, if your main goal in life is to be happy, that can be arguably as selfish as your main goal in life being to become famous or to get a lot of money. Um, and I think that for that reason, this idea of success is kind of flawed in the first place. Um, I know f just from from my own, I guess, way of looking at things, um, I am I am the happiest when I'm being productive. Um, I get I get a lot of joy when I'm getting a lot of work done and and work done that I want to get done, you know, whether that be creative work or if I'm working on a project that I'm really excited about. I get really happy from that um, as opposed to just maybe sitting and watching Netflix all day. Um, as easy as that might be. Um, so I think that there's kind of this false idea that that's kind of circulating, which is that your goals, if they're materialistic or if they're just about productivity, those goals are inherently bad and you should just focus on, you know, quote unquote, being happy. Right, exactly. Like It's almost like kind of like a class warfare, like rich people are mean or they're bad or they don't care as much, right? So we kind of like... We separate the two, and I think you're right that they don't have to be so far apart, too. You could be both at the same time, right? You could, you could have that relational and self-happiness, but you could also make a lot of money as well. That's totally true. You know, I, I question so many things, though, because right now we have, you know, more money than we could ever ask for in, our, in a country. Right? We're, we're rich. We're a very rich country. Um, we have more and more students going to college every year. I mean, the, the level of college accessibility is the highest it's ever been. Yet, at the same time, adolescent depression, anxiety, and suicide is also the highest ever it's ever been. So, I mean, shouldn't we stop and, and think about that, right? Like, does it, it that, that kind of helps us reflect on what we're talking about here, right? Something's not right when we have these accomplishments on one hand, but we have severe mental illness and 
suicide rates um, skyrocketing on the other hand, too. We got to ask ourselves, what does that mean? What, con what contributes to that? Um, and I th also kind of adding on top of what you're talking about, when we have this typical model, when we have a model at all of success, we're telling people that if you do this a certain way, you will get this certain thing. Um, and, and whether that ultimate goal is happiness or fame or money, you're still telling people if they follow this path, they'll get to a goal. Um, and that's not always true. Um, I think that a lot, I, I don't want to say that I know the cause of, of, you know, the worsening state of depression and anxiety right. in this country. But I think that something that's interesting to look at is that, I mean, not everyone was made to go to college. Right. Um, I think there are a lot of people who would be better off um, not going to college and, and doing something else. How, that's not really the reality at this point, um, but there are, there are a lot of jobs and there are a lot of positions that I think don't necessarily require that. Um, but at the same time, our society kind of has this assumption that if you don't go to college, it's because you couldn't go to college, you know, that you didn't succeed as a person in high school. Right. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking, it was a little joke. You, you, you said... Um, you don't have the answer of why people are so depressed. And I was just thinking, if you had that answer, you would be very rich, and then you'll be depressed. So, <laughs> so I was thinking about that. But um, to, go, to go with your, your question, um, so it was, it was really the question of, do you, in this culture, in this society, is college a, like a main ingredient to success, right? Yeah. Is it, and then should it be? Is it and should it be? I mean, a lot of people talk about just the, well, <clears throat> we've, we've definitely changed in just like manufacturing and the way things are done. Um, digitalized, electronic, uh, less need for kind of sort of a physical labor, less manpower needed, okay, or woman power needed for a lot of things. Um, so a lot of jobs that were available to students who didn't pursue the high school path are not available now, right? So what do those people do, right? Okay, what do they what do they do? Okay, so it's it's real it's it's difficult. Um, you know, college is like it's in some ways the safe project um, the safe way of attaining success and security. It's sort of the safe way, right? It's predictable and in some sense, well, you got to go to college to get the good job, right? Because entry-level jobs, you need a college degree now or things like that, right? So a lot of people pursue college because of that security and safety that it, it gives. Whereas if you don't go to college, unfortunately, based on the nature of our society, you're in a little more difficult position. You almost have to be like more creative and more ambitious and almost more of a risk taker to be successful without that college degree. Yeah, I mean, it seems that we're, I was talking about before about being fascinated with these people who are successful early in life. Um, and something that people, you know, on the internet and social media always point to is, well, this person dropped out of college and they still succeeded. Um, and it's something that we're kind of amazed with because we're used to this, you know, uh, chain of events of, of college being the more secure, safe way of being successful. Right, right. You know, they, they present those, those people as kind of motivational stories uh, and stuff. I, um, I'm a little hesitant to rely on those as a reason why I don't need to go to college. And I'm not saying that's what you, you were saying, but... Um, even, even myself, when I was younger, I questioned, well, you know, Einstein dropped out of college or Bill Gates didn't go to college. Why do I need to? Um, well, I'm not probably not as brilliant as they are <laughs> or were. Um, you know, so they, they are an exception in some respects to the rule. Um, and they were probably smarter than what they would have received at college anyway. <laughs> So if you're, if you're not pointing to those people as, you know, perfect pictures of what success should look like, do you have, like, anyone who you could point to and say that, like, this is what I think that we should all follow, you know, the path that we should follow? Well, I'm, I'm going to, it sounds um, 
I'm, I'm going to say my dad, it, to me, is a, is a picture of success. Um, my dad grew up poor and um, with little to no family support. Um, but somehow he had an instinct which involved hard work and consistency and dedication to one thing, too. So he was able to get a job and stick with that job because the first 10 years of that entry-level job were not pleasant at all, um, especially when he was just a new father or a new husband. Um, he started off in his professional life struggling. And a lot of people, I think, and, and almost in a sense, like more in my generation and generations after this, a little more spoiled where we, we sort of lost that, like, that long-term vision in a sense or the um, tough skin of, of seeing something through even though it's, it's not an easy life to begin with too. So my dad dedicated 39 years to the same place. 39 years. Um, and like I said, the first decade or so was not successful. Like it was a struggle. Um, but just with persist persistence, showing up each day, diligence, um, finding any area where he could improve within his company or his organization. And then he was able to build off that too. You know, also, I think, I guess we could almost use the word like our generation, my generation, the word, there's a little entitlement there. And we go to college thinking we're, we deserve these great jobs when we get out of college. And then when we get, at, when we get these jobs, these entry-level jobs out of college, we say to ourselves, or I've said to myself, I'm too good for this. I went to such and such a school. How could I be just working here doing, doing this? Making copies? Really? A mail cart? Really? You know, I just invested four years at a prestigious school. Should I be here? And then we, we stop that because of our pride. We, we quit that job, too. So we never really see it through. And that, that's kind of like the flaw, I think, in my generation and generations after. So what's the point of this all? If we succeed in life or if we don't succeed in life, I mean, does any of that really make a difference? It I guess it depends who you're asking. Um, I like to I like to say to my wife, or my wife likes to say to me, or I like to tell her to say to me, "I love you for who you are." Okay, genuinely like who you are too. Um, and and when she says it to me, I genuinely think she means it too. And I know that if I was gonna come home next week and lose my job, her love for me wouldn't wouldn't change. It wouldn't. You know, or her idea of me as a successful husband and father wouldn't change. So her opinion, like her opinion matters most to me. And the way, the way success is defined in her eyes matters to me. Um, I, I want to know what, what, why do you see me as successful? Okay. Like, so it matters and I might not see myself that way. But the people that are around you, the, the people that are most important to you, they'll have insight into, into you. They'll have insight into what's success in your life or why they stuck around in, in their relationship with you. So this is kind of a final question, and um, this kind of puts you on the spot a little bit. Mm. But have you succeeded in your life? <laughs> wow. <laughs> have I succeeded in my life? Um... I think that I am going to be, or let me rephrase that, I know that I am a work in progress. And this work in progress is not going to be completed until the day I'm not here anymore, too. There's never a point where I could say that I am finished, that... that the person I'm becoming is done. I reached that point. Now I just write it out or something like that. Um, I think I'm always learning. I'm always developing. I'm always becoming better. And I don't see that ever stopping. It could stop 
if I give up, if I just accept where I am and kind of plateau from there too. Um, I think I'm, I'm fortunate that I, I've been blessed with kind of like a, a desire to keep going in energy, to keep going in energy to try different things. Um, not to abandon the things I've already done and bounce around to a lot of different things, but expand on the person I've, I'm becoming every day, expand on that too. Um, so I'm a work in progress is, is what I like to say. Um, I want to end here and key in on one thing you said. Mm. Um, in the beginning, we talked a lot about um, trying to be the best. Uh, but I, I think that something that you just said puts it in very in very clear words that maybe instead of trying to be the best, we should be trying to be better. Exactly. That is a perfect way to end it, trying to be better, right? So maybe that's a question we could ask ourselves every day. How do I, how do I be better than yesterday? Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Alexandra, and thank you, Quinn, uh, for hosting me. This has been a real thought-provoking uh, opportunity. Yeah, actually, yeah, you did some of my job for me. So big thanks to uh, our executive producer, Quinn Accardi, for the production of this episode. Um, also, re remember that we still have a GoFundMe um, campaign happening, so the link will be in the description of this episode. Um, check back for more episodes. You can like us and uh, rate us on iTunes or share us on SoundCloud. Um, thank and you. And listen, I, I got one more like little thing. It's not necessarily a plug. But, uh, you know, I talked about, like, absolutes, right? And I believe that in order to be successful, you need to be a people person. Not that you need to be extroverted and out there or leadership, but you have to really enjoy people. Um, so that's, that's my final thought. And that's the one absolute that I'm going to present today. So be a people person and share this podcast with all of your friends. Good connection. <laughs>